This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. Can you dig it? Can you dig it? Can you dig it? dramatic or like sort of understated or what this is a land that prays for a hero the humor of the entire situation suddenly gave way to a run for survival you are listening to greening the apocalypse on triple r102.7 fm Welcome, welcome, welcome to this week's edition of Greening the Apocalypse, Triple R's weekly look into the future and how to avoid it. I'm Adam Grubb. I'm in the studio with Jed McCartney, the G'day, panel Adam. beater. How, how are do you? you? Oh, I do good. Ask Excellent. you first. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm well, thank you. And we have another co-host today. Davis Bratt is back in the studio, author of What Lies Beneath and many other reports related to climate change, former guest, and it's good to have him back behind the mic on the, like... On the home team side? It's beginning to feel a bit regular, isn't it? I would like it to be a regular thing. So. Well, 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 we'll try and do that a bit more next year, hey? Yeah, and you've organised the content for tonight. Yes, I have. Yeah. Um, I well, organised the content. You gave us the, the, the name of the show. So the name of the show is New Doomsters and Old Communards. So we have... This came up because after you did the show, you were, as a guest a little while ago, you, you sent me an article about Peter Thiel. The PayPal founder and, and, and one now, of the richest people in the world. And the man who put a lot of money into Google, who, who while being one of the great neoconservatives, neo neoliberals, no regulation, tech's going to solve the future, yeah. has also spent a lot of time buying his own little bit of paradise on the South Island of New Zealand. So he's got a big plan B that he doesn't want to talk about. So he's having an each-way bet. Yeah, yeah. So one of the little biological, uh, biographical facts about him that came up in that article, article you sent was that he also uh, is investing in a company where he, you get a serum from young people so you can inject it into, from their blood. So he, he wants to inject it to stay young. Or you can go with Elon Musk and go to Mars and see how that works out. So I guess there are two choices. Yeah, yeah. but there's, it's just one of a series of stories that have popped across my yeah. ra- radar of the ultra-rich buying up uh, land in places like New Zealand, in places like Tasmania, in places that they think are f- as far away from the zombie hordes that will come looking for the rich people should the economy collapse or whatever concerns that they have that they, yeah, like you say, they're, they're putting a few chips in column A, yeah, the future's going to be nice and bright and shiny and I'm going to stay rich, and a few chips in column B where there could be a collapse, let's have a, be able to grow our own food and, and maybe own a few high-powered rifles. Well, in his case, somebody else might be growing the food for him, I think. I think so. <laughs> yeah, so um, tonight we've got two guests, one to talk about having gone up the bush and become more self-sufficient and we'll find out how much they got away from money, Peter Harley and um, Kate Gracie who's about to take this journey to Tasmania, so a bit of looking back and a bit of looking forward so Peter, you and seven others in 1980 set off for Goongra in East Gippsland, what was the plan? The plan was, well it was basically to set ourselves up 
independent um, as independently as possible of society to you know, make a little self-sufficient farm is the basic sort of idea. Um, yeah. So, and you and there was land. There were buildings. What did you start with? Uh, we started with a bare block of land. Um, well, uh, about 150 acres. Um, the property was. It still is. Um, about a third of it was was cleared um, and uh, river flat. So it was on. The, it was on. The, it was a beautiful, very, very beautiful. It'd been piece a dairy farm, or no, no. It had been a, a, a cattle farm that had been cleared by the uh, chap that owned it. it. Was a first generation Greek immigrant to Australia. He came to Australia quite young and uh, got involved in the logging industry in East Gippsland. And um, he bought this uh, this this block of land. It, it, it had been worked before him, but only a very small sort of um, area of river flat had been cleared. It was mostly uh, forest. He um, illegally knocked down a whole lot more forest. <laughs> um, so, the, you know, the sort of slopes um, running out from the cleared land um, were cleared also. But he just ran cattle on it and sprayed it with uh, 245T. Which you stopped doing, so... What did the first year look like? At the end of the, the first year, what had happened in the way of buildings and plots and food and goats and so on? Um, well, so we were a little um, eccentric, I think you'd have to say. We um, put a very low sort of priority upon building sort of structures. and uh, <laughs> We didn't have any kids. Uh, we're all adults. So... Um, we we, did, we had tents and um, we lived in... You don't see them much anymore, but they, they were called, you know, the 12-foot by 18-foot auto tents, big heavy canvas tents. Mm. Um, we set them up. We had very nice tents, you know. They were carpeted and, uh, mm. and quite comfortable. And we had a series of them, um, probably half a dozen of those. We did build one structure fairly early on, which was our sort of bulk food storage shed, sort of a pantry. Um, but other than that, we just got on with building fences. And, um, yeah, we had goats and um, and uh, we uh, very high priority was to sort of plant an orchard. So we fenced off a, an orchard area and planted that out in gardens, of course. Um, yeah, so... How, so how after old were you at the... This point, um, I was uh, I was about thirty. Okay, yeah, around thirty, early thirties, yeah. thirty-one. Yeah, so we um, and we, we were very, um, I guess, we, we were trying to do it without a lot of technology. So we we had a lot of we'd collected over some years. We a couple of us had lived on another uh, property for a short while prior to that and um, we had sort of collected up a lot of tools so you know we things like sawing up wood we didn't have chainsaws we used big cross-cut saws like you see in the old timber industry two people one on each side two people one on each side you know to make fence posts you'd 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 saw up a log mostly we were using reclaimed timber by the way this is stuff that had been left on the ground after the last logging venture there Mm. Um, so, and we'd, we'd split the logs with, uh, with wedges mm-hmm. in, in the way that one does. And, um, you know, we we'd might knock a bit of the uh, sapwood off the log with an adz. Um, so we just, we had a whole series of hand tools. Water came from the river. We built uh, a little water wheel, very simple sort of water wheel that, that lived in the river, floated in the river and pumped 
water up to a, a tank, which was essentially an old... You don't see them much anymore, but the old um, backyard swimming pools, they used to have like a, a metre-high aluminium ring with... Um, we just got a very heavy plastic liner, stuck it up the hill. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we bought... We invested in a bit of poly pipe and ran the water from the from the river a fair way, actually, nearly a kilometre... Of pipe up to the uh, tank, and then that sort of reticulated back down um, to to where we live. But after about a year, we did get on with with building a, a slightly more um, uh, you know comfortable. So at the end of the year, space. at the end of the year, mm. what were you growing? So at the end of the year, we had we we the main thing we got in was garden. So you know we were growing potatoes. So you know in terms of energy, potato, maize. Um, and, you know, a big range of vegetables, all the, all the sort of, you know, likely suspects. Um, we had a really great supply of blackberries um, that we used to pick and dry and, um, you know, make use of. I mean, there was a bit of a problem with Agent Orange all over them, but uh, um, we tried to, as best we could sort of work our way around that. Did a lot of Agent Orange research, actually, or I shouldn't say Agent Orange. It was two four five T was the main, um, which had been sprayed on them for control. Yeah, over a long period of time, quite a lot of it. Too. Okay, we yeah. might come back and see how it all worked out and how long it lasted. But um, welcome mm. to the show, Kate Gracie. You're about to go to Tasmania. Why? Well, I, <clears throat> I got wind of, I suppose, I got wind of what is about to occur, so let's say, in the next decade. And I... So about a couple of years ago, two and a half years ago, I start, I did a little recce trip to New Zealand, thinking, oh, maybe I'll go to New Zealand, maybe I'll go by New Zealand. And so we went... So my partner and I and my our little boy, we went to New Zealand and had a look down there. And then, for different reasons, namely, like, the distance from, from family, we decided... Uh, that's not going to. That's not going to be good. That won't work for us. So we we looked in Tasmania for this reason that you know we think that the future's not bright at all. In the next couple of years, it's going to start falling apart. And um, I think when we met a few months ago, you, you walked up to me and said. I'm a doomist. Can, I don't can, think I said that because well, I've never described myself as a doomer. I actually am, but I would never actually articulate that. But, I, yeah, I am. I am on the quiet. So you're bleak about the future. I'm really bleak about the future. Yep. And I think if we were going to stay, if if I was without a child, I'd my partner was prepared to go, well, let's just ride it out here in Melbourne. And I'm like, we've got a bigger responsibility because we have a child. We can't just... Who, who's how old? He's five now. Yep. And so we just we decided, or namely I decided, that we should we should you know uh, enhance our survival prospects for for our little boy's sake, and and to look in Tasmania. And we did. We bought there. And what have you bought? What are you going to be living on? Is there are there buildings? Are there beds? Is there water? There's everything. So we, we, it's, we've we've set up. We've got we've bought two acres and a three bedroom farmhouse. It's got everything. It's got it's even got solar panels on there. It's got three water tanks. It's got it's within ten kilometres of a, as a of a service town. Um, it's it's a it's got fencing. It's got everything. It's ready to go. Except it doesn't have a vegetable garden. So I've got to go down there and establish a vegetable a vegetable garden. It's even got it's even got fruit trees. So. A great deal of that work is done except for the food production. And is there 
Is there a community of somewhat like-minded people around there or are you a pioneer in a... No. No, I think this town that we're... That this, the service town, it's in the, it's in the Huon Valley and the Huon Valley has a lot of, I think, from what I gather, a lot of tree changes there. There's a lot of like-minded people who are... I mean, Tasmania as a whole is, is receiving heaps of mainlanders, of people sort of fleeing south as it is. But in the Huon Valley, there's a lot of like-minded folk and then in our specific town i think there's a there's again there's a there's more people again like us um who are trying to do something in the way of self-sufficiency we must come back to you in a year or maybe every year <laughs> depending how this show goes and uh see how reality works out you're yeah, on it could be it could be bad you're on greeting the apocalypse <laughs> with adam jed and david our guests are peter harley and kate gracie kate who's about to do it and peter who did it 30 years ago so peter what went right and what went wrong in goongar and east gippsland with your very low-tech co-op well, um, so we were part of a larger community of about 30 to 40 people, sort of varied a little bit. Who were also living in a similar way to you? Um, somewhat, yeah, some were, yeah. They, they varied quite a bit, people's um, different um, approaches. On different bits of land in the area. Different bits of land. Like most, most other sort of landholders at least yeah. had a whippersnipper on a... <laughs> chainsaw. Um, Which you didn't? We didn't. And Look, we were seven people. We had one vehicle. Um, uh, we rebuilt its motor twice. It was an old Toyota station wagon. Um, we'd take it to uh, Orbost or sometimes Bairnsdale uh, once a month, pick up a bit of bulk food. Um, what went right? So, uh, um, look, it, it was... It was an ex- you know, it was an, a really interesting and um, educative experience um, for us all. We were all city um, refugees, so we were learning about um, we were learning lots of things. We had a huge library of books that we'd sort of collected from uh, hither and yon. Like um, you know, we had the, the Herald and Weekly Times Farmer's Handbook is uh, <laughs> is uh, is a very good one. <clears throat> we had um, little sort of um, contact with the outside world be, except through um, Radio National. Um, people used to send us tapes. We were all into punk music, of course, and so uh, we used to... Well, that's not the classic back-to-the-lander aesthetic. No, no, no. We were quite... Um, no, we were, we were a little unusual. We, we, we hated astrology and all that stuff. So. <laughs> oh, OK. I like the sound of this. I want to hear more about the people. But anyway, keep that <laughs> Yeah. Um, very intolerant of, of all that hippie sort of. I mean, we're hippies, but we're quite intolerant of all that sort of. <laughs> but you were technologically and farming educated hippies. You, yeah, we were, you, tr- well, we were trying to be, and we were trying to work out how to do it in a slightly uh, less um, technological way. Because uh, you know, so we would, we did crazy things like we would go and um, the old farmer that was selling up down the road. We get all the broken and bent and rusted old machinery so we drag all this rubbish onto our farm um we but but the, but the, yeah you asked me what what um you know what were the, the the good parts about it or what were the successes and i think that just um that we learned quite a lot about how to live on the land and you know what what how how difficult and challenging that is and did you live on the, the land as much as as you thought you would as opposed to 
you know, getting in outside supplies and and needing to reach out from what you did? I mean, did you did you reach your KPIs in terms of self sufficiency? <laughs> um, we so we we were all this is back in the eighties where one could. Um, fill in your um, unemployment benefit form and just sort of grab the yellow pages and write a couple of, um, you know, prospective employers' names down and send it in. So we actually paid for the land, uh, by and large, by our collective dole payments. So we got loans when we went there. (laughs) Statute of limitations is kindly passed. (laughs) And and we gradually paid it off. from from our doll money, we live extremely frugally, and um, the the only things that we bought, we used to bring in um, uh, wheat, and we had a pedal power, built a pedal powered machine that we used to grind up wheat and run the washing machine and different things. Um, you know, so we had it was a bit of a Gilligan's Island, really. You know, pedal powered machines, and um, and I'm, I'm I'm I've got an engineering background, and I love building that sort of rubbish. So. Um, you know, it's a bit of that. But anyway, we'd bring in... We, we bought wheat. I think we bought honey um, for a source of sweet things. And, you know, look, a number of other uh, rolled oats. Tea. We didn't buy... We didn't buy... We didn't grow any grain or cereal. Tea and but, coffee. Um, yeah, t- yeah, tea and tea and coffee. We had a really lovely, you know, one of those atomic um, cappuccino machines. And uh, yeah, <laughs> we'd ring the bell every morning. People would come from all over the farm, come in for, for the morning... Uh, Cappuccino. All right, so that was what went right. That was what went right. After the break, we're going to hear about what went wrong. And you are listening to Greening the Apocalypse on 3 Triple R. You're with Jed, Adam, and David on Greening the Apocalypse. Our show tonight is New Doomsters and Old Communards going country, going up the bush, becoming self sufficient, getting away from money, whatever it is that you're doing. And Kate is about to move to Tasmania onto a farm. What's the plan? How much growing your own food? How little money? How often will you be going to the shop? Well, the plan is. I've got my heart set on growing potatoes. I think potatoes is a good thing because I like the idea they're growing underground so they're largely protected from vermin, they're protected from storms, you know, so they they have... And and they're also a fantastic food of nutrition. They have some pretty good um, storage, like um, storage ability. They store for, for a good while. So my idea is with the two acres is to maybe put at least let's say put half of the production area into potatoes and also gives a bartering so also i can barter with potatoes so that's my plan but also then for the rest of the land um so we've got some trees maybe put in a few more fruit trees i don't know if that's worth it because they're going to take so long to actually bear fruit i'm not sure but other otherwise um but you might be there till the end of time so we'll have lots of time to grow the problem is how long is the end of time well yeah that's it the end of time (laughs) will be next decade we have to (laughs) run well and so the other right the other the other part of the plan is to grow lots of root vegetables for the same reason they're underground but you also have the leafy greens on top that you can eat so you know your beetroots and your radishes and all those things that grow underground but have really nutrition nutritious tops so that, that's my idea. The, and the idea is that... Um, so my partner is a teacher. So I like the idea that... Teachers are probably a pretty good profession for when 
things go awry, you know, there's probably get some part-time work with that. Um, I myself, um, I have an engineering background, so maybe the, I could also possibly get part-time work in the area if need be, but I'm really not... That's not a motivating force. I'd like to, I'd rather put all my effort into the into growing food and then say what either my partner or I maybe go just a couple of days a week getting an income as needed until till thing until civilization collapses and then there's no jobs and then and then we've set up then we then we have ourselves sufficient I'm not I I don't want to go down there to go off grid immediately um, earlier than necessary. I think we, if we can be part of the community in some, but in a simple life, to, to just appeal, like pare back what we don't need, um, and just use a, a part time, a couple of days a week would be would be more than enough. I think income once we've own a house outright, and we're pr- producing the vast amount of the the vast majority of our food. So what motivates you is future climate change more than anything else absolutely that's 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 the driver is what is coming with um well civilization collapse paired with climate change and they kind of they're both obviously very related to each other mm. what made it what motivated you peter back in the day um i th- well i think there was uh, i had a small group of friends and we were kind of exploring different ways and approaches of living you know we'd, I'd been a teacher and um, trained as an engineer and had a stint in the public service and I, I, it was partly just a, a desire to get out of town and um, and try something else but we, there was of course at the time a, a big concern about um, nuclear um, the, the nuclear sort of issues you know nuclear war nuclear um, accidents um, you know, the nuclear disarmament party was was big at the time, and it, so Peter Garrett had as its well, candidate, that, wasn't it? Was he right then or a little later? A little later, but um, yeah. So uh, when we um, when we moved there, um, we were quite involved in the nuclear disarmament sort of uh, debate, and we were quite active. We'd get out of town, you know, when there was a. You know, demos and so forth, it, not too far away. Canberra wasn't too far away, so we'd get up there a bit and sort of with banners and, and whatnot. So we were, we were into that. And um, and we got we, we weren't terribly much, interestingly or curiously, into the, um, into the forest debate until uh, in uh, 1984, um, must have been, what, five, six, all these hippies from New South Wales descended on the Erinandra Plateau and decided to try and stop blogging there. I mean, what the hell is this? And so we ended up supporting them because they they all came in summer, but it's cold up there, and we sort of went and got them clothes and looked after them, and uh, <laughs> and uh, you know, and we, that started a very sort of. Int- I mean, we, we were interested in the issues we were, because Harris Dyshower and so on were sort of wood chipping huge chunks of the forest, so we were involved, and and others in the in the community or nearby were terribly involved, but. We, we got more into that then. Anyway, wh- why did we go there? It was was mainly just to 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 have a, a sea change, I guess, mm. to get out of town, and and because there w- we were concerned about um, nuclear holocaust, mm. um, but climate change wasn't on our radar then. The, my only concern about climate change was that through um, nuclear power and uh, and so forth, I thought we were going to generate too much heat, and it, 
I actually thought that, you know, that, that all of the energy production was going to make too much heat and it wouldn't be able to dissipate quickly mm. enough. That was my sort of theory. I mean, eventually if there's, like, yeah, exponential growth in energy, even without um, mm. uh, uh, the CO2 creating a blanket, you would have that issue. We're a long, I think we're a long way off well, that being an issue. But fusion reactors everywhere yeah. in every home or something. Off, yeah, <laughs> still. But it's, I, I mean, it's interesting that you're both coming to this with, like, different concerns about the way that the Earth or the civilization could collapse. And, and, it, and you could sit back and go, well, that seems ridiculous and it's proven wrong. Everything was fine with nuclear power. What's everybody worried about? But we are running this enormous experiment where the human population doubles at a regular amount and we're these uh, inept monkeys with uh, tools way more powerful than we're wise enough to handle and they keep getting more technologically advanced. Hmm. And the failure modes of this experiment are a multitude. Yeah, the, yeah. the multitude of possibilities, yeah. Hmm. So did you, did The potential ones, I mean, yes. Yeah. Do either or both of you see yourself as being engaged in acts of sustainability or self-sufficiency or what's, how do we describe this? Well, look, at the time I hoped that we would be able to demonstrate a, a way of, of doing this, that, you know, that was my, I guess, my most idealistic sort of self-hope that we would be able through our experiment to demonstrate the possibility of living um uh you know a a, a self-sustaining lifestyle um at, at least no I, I don't i wasn't sort of silly and you know i i, I acknowledged that we were we had a, a stream of income um from outside and i also did a bit of um engineering background i did a bit of engineering work <laughs> For all the local hippies in the area, because the, the, the local council were alarmed at, at all these structures that were, that were going up, so we had to get computations done for these weird and wonderful structures. So mm-hmm. I, I, I was able to bring in a little bit of income doing that sort of thing. But um, yeah, I, I had hoped that that we, we would be able to demonstrate um, a new way of being. I read Marg, Marg, Marge Piercy's woman on the edge of time at the time which is about a utopian society where the the the, um the population is is spread out sort of through the through the landscape they're not sort of congregated in big cities small hamlets um interconnected by bike paths and um you know i i rather i rather still do like that um that image but um yeah i guess you know that was that was one of my, and I'm not sure about my communards, um, but one of my sort of greatest sort of hopes at the time. And Kate, you're going to Tasmania to a farm soon. How do you describe or see your project? We know what the motivation is. I, I, I guess I'd call it. Um, it's I'd call it self-sufficiency. I think just, I don't like to use the word sustainability now because mm. it's meaningless. But it's I think it's um, an act of self-sufficiency, and and it's. N- like I said before, it's not it's not going off grid because I'm I'm not going to go off grid until the grid fails. I, I, I want to be ready. I want to be ready for when the grid fails. I want it's a it's an act of preparedness and readiness for when um, everything goes pear shaped. So you're going to be off digital or on digital? Um, minimal digital. I hope it, it it'll be good. I mean, I already am too addicted to digital, and I know where I this place in Tasmania has very patchy reception. So I think it's really good that it will be 
very limited, but also my res- there's so many resources that I rely on online, including you know that the, the how tos and the do this, and I do a lot of my research there. So I am trying to build up a small library of manuals of things that that I, when I don't know how to do something that I can reach for a book and have that there. I think it's wonderful if we go back to building libraries with mm. books in it. It's one of my very positive visions of yeah. the future. It's where we just can get away from all of that and have this knowledge there. Yeah. You can actually read without 100 pop-ups distracting you. One, one of our um, favourite um, books was the... We had, had a, you know, a recovered copy of the Encyclopaedia Britannica. You know, that was our yeah. Wikipedia. We just had that off the shelf all the time, uh-huh. every time there was an argument. And there were all those, there were all those sort of <laughs> magazines of the time, Earth Garden, and there were a whole... And they're still there. They're still out there, and they're still being sold in newsagents, I think. Really? Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like new, not old... Yeah, yeah, new No, the, the new, new editions of Earth Garden, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They're, still, they're still out there. Still out there. Hey... We've heard the good... We still haven't got round to what went wrong. This is what I want to hear. After the break. After the break. (laughs) I'm Joel Salatin, known as the Lunatic Farmer, encouraging you to tune in every time you can to the muckraking, compost-loving, cud-chewing, soil-building, water-cleaning vanguard of Urban Hillbilly Radio. Greening the Apocalypse on Radio 102.7... Free We're talking new doomsters and old communards. Uh, Peter Harley, who went to Goonga in the 1980s, and Kate, who's about to go to Tasmania. Peter, we've heard what went right. What went wrong? Um, well, I mean, the the uh, the community, or the I should say, the, the legal entity, the co-op that we created. Um, when we went there still exists so and and people still live there awesome. but there, there's been a generational change so and they're still gardening and doing things they are i haven't uh, i'm a bit out of touch with them i haven't um but yes yeah that, I, i'm sure that that's still happening how long ago did you leave um in 1988 so you spent eight years up there yeah that's a fair stint yeah yeah um and you know we we sort of gradually moved apart and the original there's none of the original crew still there uh i believe one of one of the original um crews is still a shareholder there the rest of us have, have oh no no more than that or the, the so one of the originals and and the two of the children of one of the originals um still own shares there mm. so that succession is there but um uh yeah, but not all of those people are living there. Um, but it, it, it still exists. I, I guess the, the question is sort of what were the challenges, you know, is, is probably what you're asking me. What mm. challenges did we face? Um, and I... Th- yeah, OK, so th- this, these are kind of... These are difficult questions, you know, and they're, they're sort of... They relate to psychology and so forth. Mm. <laughs> um, but... I think if if you were to ask me now what what would be the preconditions for a successful um, community in set in isolation, I um, reckon that people need to be engaged in stable intimate relationships mm. um, and if they're not if you've got and we had an unequal number we had more men than women 
um, go to this thing. And it, it, it's, it's challenging and, um, you know, we were, I think, ill-prepared for that and that we got ourselves into sort of relationship complexity and trouble. Mm. I was just listening to that uh, ad before for Louis Thoreau's <laughs> show on polyamory and I was thinking, yeah, sort of come to Goonga at the time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, so, you know, there was that and, and that, that made things quite challenging and... and, and Unstable. Yeah. Do you mean in the group of seven or in the large no, community no. of thirty or well, forty? Well, both actually. Yeah. yeah. But no. Well, in, in was the there a naivety around that stuff? Because a lot of the story of the seventies back to the land stuff is you start. If we just express our feelings, everything will work itself out. Mm. I'm kind of curious whether the if you start off with a commitment to hippie values and folk music, whether you're more or less prepared for it than if you have a slightly more cynical view of human nature as implied by a punk music aesthetic, <laughs> which you said you started with. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, as a, yeah, that's right. We, we, we're not terribly... Um, I don't think we're, we're, we're terribly romantic in that, in that way. Mm. Um, um, you know that if we just all love each other, man. You know, there, mm. there, we didn't do that. Um, <laughs> that was that would be terrible, chunderous. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, so we, you know, we're a bit more hard edged than that. Yeah. Um, uh, I guess there was a belief that you know perhaps we could sort of talk things out. Um, mm. You know, work things out that way. Um, there was a there was a belief that it should perhaps be possible to to have polyamorous relationships, and I'm not completely you know convinced that that's not possible. Mm. But I think that it it, it does take um, a certain sort of strength of character um, to do that, you know. And one needs to be extremely stable and to have a very good sense of of oneself. And you know, I'd put my hand up and say I don't think that was me. Mm. Um, at the time, and possibly still not. Um, How about the physical workload of producing all your own food and maybe even, you know, just dealing with cold winters and that kind of stuff? How did you go with, with that? With a very low tech, yeah. no, no electricity, uh, not our, a lot of petrol our, uh, motors. Our, our, you know, there are many anecdotes, of course. Um, our first winter there... Um, it was the heaviest snowfall since that Percy Reed could remember since 1912. And um, we were in tents still mm. and so we had to like stay up all night and, and get around and keep brushing the snow off the tents to stop them wrecking right. the tents so and and there was snow on the ground for a week um and so that was pretty cold and oh that and we didn't actually think that that we should when we first moved there we were so cautious about looking after this beautiful bit of land we didn't think we should burn any wood mm. so we didn't light fires that's hardcore <laughs> That's really <laughs> hardcore. We didn't want to disturb the habitat of the little creatures mm. that lived in the wood because we were still kind of trying to learn about this place. So Did you ameliorate your views on this question? Yeah, we ended up burning wood. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, and, and as I said before, you know, we sort up the logs and and uh, made fence posts and, and built fences and, um, and did all that stuff. Um, did any of your complex romantic relationships result in offspring? Uh, no. Because that's a common failure mode, I hear, is you have kids and then you're a long way from schools. No, that no, we, didn't, we didn't have any children. We didn't yeah. have... Uh, pe- people who came later had kids yeah. and, and one of our original group uh, went away and 
um, came back with a partner and they had a child. Mm-hmm. But they were separate. They formed a, a separate unit. They were the first little breakaway. So, Kate, you're going group. to Tasmania in a stable relationship, so you've solved one of mm-hmm. uh, people's, uh, Peter's... Uh, preconditions. Preconditions. Mm-hmm. Um, what are things in the back of your mind where you think, oh, this might be tough? What are, what are the things that, that worry you or seem like not quite solved challenges yet? Well... Namely, I'm I'm crap in the cold, which is some. You're moving to the wrong place. I know, place. I know, I know. So I'm because I I was I was raised in in a hot. I was raised in country New South Wales. I'm used to forty degrees. I'm good at forty degrees, but yeah, I'm not good in the cold. So that's a worry. Also, um, so so in my relationship, my partner, we're not on the same page. He doesn't. We're not on the same page with this endeavour. So what does that mean? That means. That I will probably be, I'll be going, I'll be the advance party. With your son. With my son until my partner comes around to the idea. And then he'll come and. You're assuming that he will come around. Yeah, to the yeah. Idea. So there is, there is, there is a possibility that he will never come around to the idea or that he'll come around to the idea when the mainland's burning and then he'll go, oh, now I get it. Well, this, I'm is, coming. this is a bit big. <laughs> yeah, it is yeah. big. It is really big. Mm. But it's primarily it's driven by having a five-year-old mm. and I'm thinking I'm going to do whatever it takes to give him, you know, a fair crack at a childhood, at an at a, at a, at a enjoyable, memorable, normal kind of childhood. So that's my, that's my priority and I'm hoping my partner comes around sooner rather than later. And what about the skills to till the land, to, to dig a, an acre of potatoes yeah, every I know. season? Is I that, know. Yeah, it is a worry. But is, I, I figure the main challenge, I think, for doing any of this is the, the biggest obstacles are mental ones, aren't they? Would that be right, Peter? The, some of the biggest obstacles are just learning, are just getting your head around that this is achievable and this can be done. And, I mean, hey, it's only two acres. There's, the world... Has got a what? How many forty thousand years of people doing a lot more with a lot less? Mm. So it's it's a it's a mental obstacle. Also, having a five year old, God bless him, great, great. But he's very he needs a lot of attention. He's a very he's a lovely, beautiful, needy boy. So there's sort of trying to get all this work done with this what? ball and chain. Well, will you be close enough? For him to go to school, or will you have I, to fit that in between digging taties? No, well, you know, I um, I I'm not really, I'm not a big fan of the conventional schooling system anyway. Uh, no, am I. And I'm, I'm quite, I quite like the idea of unschooling, even though I, I sort of don't feel that I'm, I'm not the great, I'm not the best fit for being an unschooling mum, but. So are you doing homeschooling? Well, unschooling. So you know, homeschooling is when you follow the curriculum, and unschooling is when you don't. So. I, like, I really do like the idea of unschooling and I understand that this area is a, is a hotbed of unschoolers. So, the, you know, there'll be a community of, of, of similar unschooling kids, so tap into that. So, this, yeah, the, the, the lack of schooling is, is absolutely not a con, uh, concern for me. Let's talk a little bit about when you're being self-sufficient, how much you connect or rely on the outside world from both of you. Healthcare, Peter... Um, well, look, when, when we were living in this, and, and we, we built ourselves a little wooden um, shack that was our sort of living room and it had some food storage in it. We had a, a stove. We had um, hot water, you know, by a, a heat jacket in the, in the wood stove. 
um, we had a little sitting area and we had a little library area and we had a sink and on the outside of the sink and the other side of the window you could swing the, the, the uh, tap outside and fill up a, a wash trough. Um, we had a shower out there and uh, so we had hot and cold running water. We had, um, we had a, a, a cassette player. People used to send us cassettes, friends in the city. We could hear Radio National. We could make a cappuccino in the morning um, if we got sick, we could take ourselves down to either Robust or Bensdale Hospital and avail ourselves even of the dental service at Bensdale Hospital. Um, and I used to say at the time, and I still say, that we probably had the highest standard of living of anybody possibly in the world at that point in time ever. Like, and we're talking kings, queens, whatever. We lived in a beautiful environment. We had every luxury that we required. Um, we were warm, we were well fed, you know, we had the, the welfare state was looking after us in terms of, you know, that bit of income. Better than it does today. Better than it does today. We had um, a magnificent healthcare system. Um, so, um, and, you know, what more can you say? I mean, we, it, it, was a, it was a terrific um, sort of, it, you know, combination of factors, which, you know, if... Um, David Byrne, I think, was in town this weekend having a concert. You know, we, we would jump in the car and head down and saw the, the Stop Making Sense concert in 1985, mm-hmm. for example, which is a high point of my music <laughs> attending career. Um, you know, so, like, it was, it was, it was a great... Um, it was a wonderful lifestyle and it, it, was a, it was a great community with some lovely people, interesting people from different parts of the world. And, yeah, so, look... It, so we had that that mix of inputs. And yep. Kate, you go to the doctor, do it yourself. How does healthcare well, fit in with you? I, know, it's probably, I probably sound very naive, but my, myself and my boy over the last five years haven't we haven't been to a doctor in five years. Um, we we I think we're both in in, in good health, and and there's a, again there's a, there's stuff that you can do for yourself. I mean, again, forty thousand years, people have been doing very well without these health infrastructures and I believe we can do that. Yes and no. We've become so... There's some qualifications there. I know, <laughs> no, but we've become so dependent on hospitals as our mm. go-to and that's only been, what, in the last, what, 50-odd years, maybe 100 years. Mm. But people have been... People have been keeping themselves healthy and happy for throughout hum- human history mm. without that kind of infrastructure. We're wrapping the show up, but before we do, we've... Any uh, tidbits of advice as we wrap up, Peter? Um, potatoes are good things to grow, Kate. Oh, thank um, you. Yeah. Okay, that was a good idea. They grow. <laughs> there was they, a, quite one they, good idea. They're great. It's a very satisfying <laughs> thing growing your own potatoes. There was a study done of, of uh, Ireland in the 19th century. People said they lived on potatoes. How could they live? But in fact, they lived on potatoes a bit of cabbage a bit of bacon and a bit of milk and yeah. those four things have everything you need to be basically healthy and mm. potatoes have got an amazing number of very useful mm. things they're a in very them. underestimated vegetable yeah i think you should plant some walnuts and some chestnuts will that take a very long time to grow they do chestnuts not so long but um you'll get chestnuts in you know within Ten years, you'll be getting good mm. yields of chestnuts. Get some oils in the diet. That's what yeah. you need with those potatoes. Yeah. Well, 
We have very much enjoyed your company. Thank you both for coming in. Thanks for having me. Thank yeah. you. We yes. wish you all the best in your endeavours, Kate, and we <laughs> will you. no doubt check in <laughs> and see how you're going. We have been greening the apocalypse. Thank you very much, Jed McCartney. Thank you, David Spratt. Thank you to our guests, Peter and Kate. We, I've been Adam Grubb. We'll see you in the future, and until then, have all the fun. This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.